0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We have actually not been in a normal series. Uh, we, we finished up a series, and, and, and then last week uh, Ben came from Living Hope and, and gave us a word. But there's been a common theme that is carried through into even this message today, and it's these passages are verses that are really well known. Like almost everybody knows them. If you've been in the church, you've heard about them. We had uh, Romans 8, 28, you know, and, and then last week, Ben was talking about uh, David and Goliath. And, and these are well-known things, but often they're either misapplied, misunderstood, or poorly taught. And so, uh, We want to know what God's word says. We don't want to dumb down these verses. We don't want to dumb down these stories. We don't want to make them simply moral stories. We're going to continue that today as, as we look at a very, very common parable. In fact, even if you haven't been in the church, like I didn't get saved till later in life. And I knew this parable, right? I knew it from when I was a kid. It's the good Samaritan. So poll, who's heard of the good Samaritan? Like I think, pretty much everybody, right? Even if you're not a follower, you've heard this. It's it's part of our common vernacular. When somebody is doing good to help somebody out, we we call them a good Samaritan. Like Google good Samaritan, you'll see a list of news articles over the last few weeks. Whether it was somebody uh, protecting others, coming to the aid of others, uh, just helping out, good Samaritan is part of our common vernacular. Right? And, and like I said, it's not just within the church. It's, it's everybody knows this. In fact, there's a Good Samaritan law that says if, if you go to, to give somebody first aid and you can't be held liable because you were trying to help, right? It's about helping, right? In fact, there's an RV club. Who's ever heard of Good Sam Club? Got the sticker, the guy with the halo, based on this, right? Based on this parable. They're, they want to help people out. If you're out on the road, you need help, and, and you know, you'll see one of these guys come by and, and help sometimes. But the problem is that we've, we've taken this story and we've really made it into kind of wherever it fits. If you do good for somebody else, you're the good Samaritan. And what that does is takes a, a teaching that is theologically sound, that is focused on Christ, and it just kind of makes it a moral thing. Like, hey, do good. Do good to others, which is a good teaching, right? We should be doing good to others. But if we divorce that from the gospel, it loses its power, loses its true purpose. And so as as we get into this today, we want to look at the depth of what Jesus is teaching in this parable so I don't want to talk too long, just kind of the setup. We'll talk a little bit about the context of this in a minute, but we want to remember what a parable is, right? A parable is a story. Uh, most of them are told by Jesus in the Bible, right? They're a story that usually is set, well, it's always set in a context that the person hearing it, the person in front of Jesus at that time who's hearing it would understand, set in their cultural context. It's, it's things that they would recognize and it's made to evoke a response. And it usually talks about one of two things. It's usually uh, the kingdom of God. And in those parables, Jesus starts, the kingdom of God is like, right? Or it talks about Christ himself as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And, and so as we look at this, we want to be looking for those things. We want to be able to read deeply So let's get our Bibles out. Let's turn to Luke 10, and it's verses 25 through 37, and I want you to read along with me. Uh, So uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. That's the version we we like around here, but read it in whatever you got. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. He's talking about putting Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, "What is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he answered, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." And he said to him, "You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live." But desiring, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" And Jesus replied, this is funny because he doesn't actually give him an answer. He just goes into the story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of God. And so as we look at this, I kind of want to give us our main point. What we're going to focus on, I want you to write this down. I want to make sure that this is what you leave here with. And that is that Jesus justifies us so we can love well. Again, Jesus justifies us so we can love well. And if you just read through that with me and you go, that doesn't match up, I don't understand, hold on, we'll get there. Uh, Because a lot of times we have learned just what I said about this parable. It's, It's go and do good to others, but we miss the context of it. And so just to give a little context as we look through this, remember, a parable is set in a context they would understand. The first thing we need to understand is, is when it says lawyer, it is not a def- defense attorney, he's not a prosecutor, this is a lawyer in those days would be somebody who studied and knew all of the law, all of the Torah, the Old Testament law. He would have known everything. He was really a theologian. And so when he's asking this question, Jesus' response to him makes sense. You read it. You know. How do you see it? Right? And then it goes into the story. And when we think about parables uh, and really any story, we want to really see who are the characters, the, the man, the unnamed man who is beaten, robbed, and left half dead. So we have him. Uh, We have the priest. You know, the priests are are from the line of Aaron. They're the ones who go to the temple and they're making the sacrifices and doing all that for the people of Israel. We have the Levite. He's a descendant of the sons of Levi. And they they help out at the temple. They're not the priests, but they do a lot of other things at the temple. We, We even, at the end, have the innkeeper. Right? But the weight of the story is the good samaritan this samaritan is an interesting character and we could pass over if we don't know anything about jewish history and just go all right the samaritan but the samaritans and the jews hated each other there was great animosity they both believed that the other one was was not following the true god they had broken uh, And when uh, the Jewish people had been taken away in exile, some of them stayed in in the area of Samaria, and then they intermarried with the Assyrians who had conquered. And so the Jewish people would call them half-breeds, and they would refer to them as dogs, and they would even use the term Samaritan as a derogatory term towards other people. So there's great animosity. And so when Jesus says the Samaritan... I would think that the people hearing this for the first time would go, that's the bad guy in the story. Yeah. But it's not. He turns out to be the hero of the story. And so just like Jesus tends to do, he, he, he flips our view upside down. And now, so we, we're looking at this with fresh eyes. We, we go, oh, the Samaritan came And he came to where he was, and and he saw him. And when he recognized him, even though they were enemies, he had compassion. And then he helped him. And then, like, paid out of his pocket to have him cared for. And what I want you to see in this, as we said, a parable talks about either the kingdom of God or Christ. I think that he is showing us that the good Samaritan is him. It's Jesus. And so Jesus is the good neighbor in this story. He's the good neighbor who has compassion. And so we, we, we see that the Samaritan comes upon this man. He sees him beaten and broken. And I'll tell you, when I'm reading this, that was me. That was me before Christ came and looked on me with compassion. I was beaten, I was broken, I was stripped and robbed. I was left half dead. I was spiritually dead. And this is how we are before we are brought home by Christ, before we're brought into his family, before we're adopted. We're half dead. We can do nothing. And so I want you to think about that. That that was you. And that was me. But Jesus looked on us with compassion. Right? Jesus loved us even when we were sinners. He saved us even when we were rebels against him. And so this Samaritan looks with compassion just like Jesus looks on us with compassion. And if, if you... Read the word, you'll, you'll see this happen a few times, but one of them that it reminds me of is before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the, the week, the Passion Week, right? Before he knows he's going to the cross and he looks, and it says he looks on it with compassion. There's sheep without a shepherd. And this compassion drives us to action. There's, there's a big difference, I think, and it might be just you know semantics, but if, if you look on somebody with pity, you go, "Oh, I feel really bad for them." And then you keep rolling, right? But if you have compassion, it's something that stirs in your heart, and it should move us to action. For Jesus, it moved him to a sacrificial action. He moved to the cross, because he saw his creation, his people, broken, stripped of their eternal inheritance, left half dead. And so he moved to the cross to pay the price for us, to die for us. And that's what we see displayed in the parable. The Samaritan, even as he looks on an enemy, Has compassion, and then he is. Oh, I feel bad for that guy. He's moved to care. So that's our next point. After uh, Jesus is a good neighbor who gives care, and and what we see displayed here is a process of care. Let's look at the Samaritan. It says he went to him. So there was movement towards. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds. And it says that he poured oil and wine on him. And what we'll see is, is in those days, wine was a remedy for cleansing, right? It was an antiseptic. It would cleanse the wound. It would clean it. So he comes in, and he's cleaning the wound. He's making the person clean. And it also talks about the oil, and that was another remedy that would have been known to those people. You'd pour oil on a wound to soothe. And so just like Jesus sees us, is driven by compassion to move towards us, to come near, and he cleanses us and he soothes us. And so as you're thinking about these wounds, it's easy because the the parable talks about physical wounds. There's cuts, you know. There's gashes, whatever. We we can picture that really easy. But I don't want us to get fixated just on physical wounds, because there's a spiritual element to this story. We've seen that connection. We see Jesus, and, and so we start looking at the spiritual elements. So not just physical wounds, which he does. He heals us from physical wounds, right? But from soul wounds from our our wounded emotions, our wounded spirit, when we've been hurt, when we feel like we've been left half dead. And he comes in, and he cleanses us, and he soothes us, and he binds us up. And the funny thing is, physical wounds, I don't know about you, like, I've had a few, right? I got scars. I got some physical wounds. They healed up pretty good now. You know There might be little lasting effects, but, but soul wounds, those emotional and, and spiritual wounds are deep. These are eternal wounds. And apart from Christ coming, apart from him cleansing and soothing us, these wounds don't heal. And the eternal impact of those wounds that's it. Like, it's going to be forever. And so we, we want to think about this picture in this parable and focus on that, those wounds that he binds up. He washes clean. He soothes us. And it doesn't stop with an initial treatment. Like, he doesn't come in and go... One time you're cleansed, you're soothed, I bound you up, all right, he's, he leaves. Like that's not what the story says. There, there, there's a continuum of care. The, the initial treatment stops, but he continues his care. We see that the Samaritan in this parable puts the man on his own animal, his his donkey. And we might miss this, but if that guy's riding, guess what I'm doing? I'm walking. So there's some sacrificial element to this. Like I've given up my comfort. I've given up my preference so that I can care for this one. You want to make that connection, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Giving up preference and comfort so that we could be cared for. So care usually has this sacrificial component. If nothing else, it takes your time. Sometimes it costs money. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's an emotional expense to, to care for somebody who's going through something. That's why like small groups are so important here. We, we need a community of people around us who can reflect this to us. People who are willing to, to pay the cost to care for us, to bind us up, to to keep us going, to, to carry on that care. And so as we see this, we think to the next thing. So Jesus, he has compassion on us. He gives care. But it says Jesus, is he's the good neighbor because he paid the cost. Right here it says, Of him, and then the next day he took out two denarii. Now, this represents two days' wages. You know, I don't know, you know, we all make different amounts, but two days' wages, like if you're staying at the inn and you need care, you need shelter and feeding, and like you could probably pay for a little while, but who knows how hurt this guy is. I mean, think back to your life. Like I said, the spiritual aspects, when you were broken. When you needed that care. And I got to thinking when I read this that, you know, I don't want to over-allegorize this, right? You can get get into the weeds and go places, but to me, when I read this, the innkeeper is us. Right? The innkeeper is us. Jesus brings those who are hurt and broken, who he has cleansed, he has made well, and he puts them in our care as the church, the redeemed people of God. And he charges us. In, in, in the parable it says, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Charges us with the care for each other. But it only happens because Christ paid for us. He paid the cost, came out of his life. I mean, he he drew near to us. He stepped out of heaven, out of the glory that he deserved, drew near, and he had compassion on us, and he moved to us, and he bound us up, those spiritual needs, those wounds that we have that are hidden, and then went to the cross to say that we are his forever. But he paid the cost. Went willingly to his death. Had the, the wrath of God poured out on him. So that we would not just be cleansed once. But we would have eternal cleansing. He paid the whole cost. And that's important because... There's a lot of times we get to thinking, like, hey, what do I got to do, right? Just like the lawyer at the beginning, what do I have to do? Well, I'll tell you, we, we can't do anything. We can't pay the cost for the eternal life. But we can care for those who he's brought. Jesus already paid for it. It's done. It's finished. But there's these other characters in here that I want to talk about for a minute. Because oftentimes, they're either us before Christ or, or that sneaking in of this, this law, this pharisaical heart, this what do I have to do And if we look at Jesus' example of love, which is what we're talking about, right? Because when Jesus asks him, you read the law, what do you say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all, everything I got. So it's love. Jesus is displaying love when he talks about the Samaritan who, who points back to him but Jesus example of love removes our self focus so just like the lawyer his question it was a bad question cuz it was about him what must i do to inherit eternal life and Jesus answers him said you read it go love god with all all you got. And then love your neighbors yourself. And it's funny because he also says, if you do this, you'll live. Which, to me, like, I don't know if it's sarcasm. It kind of comes off that way sometimes with some of Jesus' answers. And I will tell you, if you're a sarcastic person, it's not a spiritual gift unless you can do it as good as Jesus. So just don't even try it. All right. He's like, all right, you know the answer, smart guy. Go do it. And I'll tell you, when I think about that, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. I don't know that I can do that. Love the Lord your God with all. See, he's asking for the eternal gift based on his merit. And God doesn't give it based on ours. He gives it to us, good things, but not because we do. i want to read a quote from R.C. Sproul, and it hit me as I was studying this. This is kind of where I felt I was as I read that. So he says, There's no one, not one person, who has kept the force of this commandment for the last five minutes let alone for their entire lives. For to say that you love God with all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your heart really is to say that you never sin because it would be impossible to sin if you loved God in that way. (laughs) Kind of a gut punch, right? Like, really, because think that word all, like, it's everything, There's only one person who has ever loved God with all, and that is Jesus. And it's funny because to love God with everything should be easy, right? He's perfect. He's lovely. If there was anybody that we could give all ourselves to, it would be him. And yet sin gets in our way. And so when I think about that, then I think about the rest of the commandment, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, man, if I can't love God with all, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Those ones who aren't as lovely. Or even myself, right? When When I know what's in me. And I want us to think on this for a minute. I want us to really look, as we think about this lawyer, and as we even look at the other two characters, the the priest and the Levite, right? These are good religious people. And for context, if, if you were hearing this in that setting, like I believe he was talking to them. He was in Bethany outside of Jerusalem. And they would know this road that is described. This road that comes down from Jerusalem, it literally comes down, like the elevation is different, like 3,500 feet. It's like a 17-mile walk or donkey ride. And it was known, even into the 1800s, commentators and historians would refer to this road as a place where bandits would come. It was a dangerous place to travel. And so it makes sense that this man's hurt and, and beaten and broken and lying there. Right? That, people would go, oh, yeah, that, that happens. I understand that. But then we get this priest who is supposed to be this godly representation. And he comes, and he walks on the other side of the, the road. Doesn't want to get involved. A lot of times we want to give this guy a break and say, well, you know, there was you know, those purity rules. Like maybe he was cleansed and pure for his, his duties in, in Jerusalem at the temple. But, but it says he's coming down the road, right? He's heading back to Jericho, where a lot of the Levites and priests lived. He's done with his duties. What we see here is is comfort and preference. And maybe he was worried like, hey, I don't wanna hang around, obviously there's bandits nearby, I wanna get out of here. But to show the priest, and then the Levite as well, doing this would have a great impact on the hearers. And they would go, it's not just the following rules. It's the compassion. And, and when I heard that and I read through that, I, I, I remembered a time. So we used to live out in Virginia. And I, and I worked uh, 35 miles south of, of Washington, DC. Or I worked in DC and lived 35 miles south. And uh, we had to travel I-95. So. Think of I-35, like, times 10. It's horrible. Traffic is awful. And so one day, I'm like three hours into my drive home, and we are just creeping down the road, right? And I, I come around this bin, and I see this car. Hood's up, person's walking around on the cell phone, some distress there you could tell as, as you're creeping along. And when I say creeping, like, you could probably walk faster. And I get this. I should probably pull over and help that person. And then that inner lawyer starts talking to me. Man, you've already had a long day. You're already going to be late getting home. You know, the the kids, you might not see them before they get into bed. Man, it's going to take time. You know, What if they need you to hang out? And then I start making excuses. Well, I don't know how to fix a car. What am I going to do? They're on the phone. Maybe somebody's already coming. All the excuses, all the reasons. And I creep on by them and then felt like a worm. I mean, like, it stayed with me. I still talk about it now, right? Like, I was like the priest and the Levite, because I had pity, but I didn't have compassion. And so it's, it's driven out of love. It's driven out of a heart condition that we would come near, that we would sacrifice and care for people well. But like I said, there's only one who has ever done this perfectly. And that's Christ. And it comes down to his, his justifying us. Right? Christ... Justifies us. That's how we can love others well. He paid the cost. He died in our place. And it's because he justified us that we can love God and our neighbors well. Maybe not perfectly, but we can love well. And like Pastor Cade was saying it's it's a vertical heart posture, right? First I got to love God. Well, I got to love him with all I got and recognize when I fall short, and then because of that I can love others well. So as we reflect on the love that Jesus has lavished on us and modeled for us, I want us to think about how this applies in our life. Because there's not a checklist. You can read through this, and, and man, you can pull out all the laws. Like, I think there's 600 and something Old Testament laws. Like, you can try and keep them all. But then you've got to go back to what Jesus said. All right, you know them. Live by them. If you do them all, you'll live. You want eternal life? Do it all perfectly. And we can't. We can't justify ourselves. It's impossible. But deep down, we, we want that, right? What's my checklist? i got to go to church. Got that one done this week. Got to go small group. All right, good. You know, what, what's your religious checklist look like? And if it's not out of a heart of love, we're going to blow it, right? And so we want to reflect Christ. And so it brings us back to our our starting point, right? We are justified. Jesus justifies us so we can love well. Are you loving well? Well, As we continue, the the worship team is going to come back up. We are going to sing as a form of worship. This drives our heart to love well. And as we go out this week, we can reach out to those people We can be moved by our compassion to care for others well. We can be the innkeeper as a body. We can care for those who Christ has redeemed. So if you'll pray with me, we'll continue our worship. Father, we are amazed by you, and we don't sit Regularly enough, and look at your loveliness. Lord, we, we should love you with all, everything in us, every moment. And so we confess, Lord, we, we don't, but we want to. We want to love because Christ loved. And we know we can reflect Christ because he justifies us. He paid the cost. He finished the work. And now it's just trying to be more like him each day. So Lord, put that in us. Make our hearts ready. We're going to get the chance this week as we go out to reflect love to a broken world, a world that's half dead. So we ask you, Lord, give it to us. Give us that compassion that would move us to love like you, Jesus. It is only in your name, our Lord, our Savior, our Healer, our Redeemer, that we pray. Amen.